Hi, this is Ricardo, pastor of Journey Church Ventura. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our podcast. Hope you're having a great week. We hope it's life-giving and life-changing. Take care. Good morning. How are you today? Excellent. You guys have a lot of energy. That's awesome. Uh, We're continuing this amazing series, Living, Loving, Lasting, and Laughing. And although we won't be speaking on all of them today, the goal is that by the end of it, we all feel that we know how to truly live, you know, the life that God has called and created us for. I am so excited to be back with you today because um, it's great to be with people who are discovering one of the greatest secrets of life. This is a, a secret that runs so deep, it sits at the heart of our faith as Christians. And whether you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time or are relatively new to a relationship with him, it's there for us to discover if we are willing to look. What is surprising is that the secret isn't really so secret because it's the very essence of why Jesus came. Pastor Ricardo actually um, <clears throat> touched on this last week. And if we did a survey of like everyone in the streets of Ventura, if we walked out there today and started walking and asking people questions, this, this question would be the one I want to ask. Why did Jesus come to earth? So if we walked out there you know, with our microphone and said, hey, lady with your Starbucks, why did Jesus come to earth? And we talked to every single person in the Starbucks line because, you know, they're all there getting their coffee when they should be here, but okay. And we started asking the question, we could get a lot of different answers. Why did Jesus come? People might say, to teach us how to be good people, uh, or to die for our sins, or to inspire us, or they might even say, so I can go to heaven someday. And when we look at all the amazing things that Jesus did and said during his earthly ministry, we will definitely see examples of all those things. That's what Easter is all about is that Jesus came so that he would pay the price for our sins and we could have the life everlasting. But what did Jesus himself say? He didn't say to everybody, well, I came to inspire you. Because the minute someone says, I'm here to inspire you, they usually don't inspire you at all, right? Like if I said to you today, folks, I'm here to really inspire the heck out of you. You'd be like, you better prove to me that you're inspiring right now, (laughs) right? Someone says that, we want to have them show it to us. And Jesus actually says what he came for. Pretty early in his ministry, he he actually boldly, proudly said it. In John 10, 10, he said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. An older version, if you grew up in church, probably you've heard of the King James Version. It's the one that sounds like Shakespeare said, "Uh, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. The version I really appreciate is the more recent translation of the Bible, the New Living Translation, which says it this way, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Jesus came so your life would be rich and satisfying. He came so your life would have meaning and value and worth. And all of the reasons why people can give for why Jesus came, from his teaching to his stories to his incredible death and his resurrection can be summed up in this one idea of a life fully lived, fully realized, a life full of purpose and of meaning. Now, why is that? Well, because when we look at Jesus and realize who he is and what he has done for us, when we embrace everything the Bible says about him and say yes to that, that no matter what our circumstances No matter what difficulties we face, we will never look at our lives and wonder, huh, what is this life all about? Why am I here? What's the point of it all? Last uh, Sunday, Pastor Ricardo kicked us off by focusing on that very idea. What is a full life? What is a life of value and worth? It's a life where Jesus is at the center, 
where everything we do and say and spend our time focusing on is a reflection of Him. Our title is Living, Loving, Lasting, and Laughing. And if last week we focused on what it means to fully live as Christians, then this week, as you may have guessed by the little uh, bumper before I started speaking, we're going to draw our attention to one of the most important ways we show that life to the world around us. It's by the way that we love. Why do I know that this is one of the most important ways that we live out the lives of purpose and that value that Jesus promised? Because he said it's how people will know we are his followers. In John 13, 35, Jesus says this, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. I grew up in the 1970s, which when I think about it, it seems like it was yesterday, but in reality, it was 50 years ago. I don't like thinking about that because in my mind, 50 years ago equals like the Great Depression. My kids' brains, 50 years ago equals hippies and disco music. Like, I remember that vividly, so it can't be 50 years, but it was. My grandfather was a pastor at the time. My parents were missionaries, and so I spent a lot of time in church when I was very young in the 70s when the Jesus music was kind of taking its, its root. And uh, one of the songs I remember singing uh, used that verse as its theme. Uh, it goes like this. They will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. You ever heard that one? Okay. I'm with the older crowd today. Or as I like to say, the seasoned citizens, you know, we're not old, we're just wise and gray-ish. Um, but yeah, uh, it's, the song kind of has that minor key to it, so it sounds kind of haunting and scary. They will know we are Christians by our... You can almost, if you sing it with a growl in your face, it's like, these are the scariest Christians of love I've ever heard about, right? <laughs> it's not a very good song. But even a bad song can state the truth. And this one says it exactly. How will the world see that we are his children? How will they see that we are living this rich and meaningful, amazing life that he's called us to? It's by the way that we love. Jesus isn't making it easy on us. If, if, he, if he said this, it would be so much easier. If he said, the world will know you are mine if you are a cross necklace. I could do that. That's easy. It'd be easier if he said, the world, you will know, the world will know that you are my follower if you listen to worship music really loudly and blast it at the spotlight, stoplight there, so the heathens next to you can get blessed by your music. Have you ever tried that? Like someone pulls up here to listen to some really loud, like raucous, like rap music or some, whatever, whatever kind of loud music it is. Like, you could be country western, but you're like, you know, I'm going to give you some Jesus today. And what do they do? I don't want your Jesus today, so they roll up the window. And I just told you how old I am right now, because I just did this to roll up a window. <laughs> Have you ever seen that in a car? No. Like a, hey, there's a grandpa up here preaching today. Yes, yes, I am officially old. Um, it'd be much easier if we could a tattoo of a Bible verse, preferably in Hebrew, so we can look super spiritual, you know? Like right, the song Jaira we just sang, just put Jaira. That's how the world will know we are his disciples. You know, actually, it'd be much easier if we could just invite them to church and let them hear a message from a charming and very handsome preacher. I think. <laughs> oh, it'd be easier to do nearly anything than to love, which I think is exactly why Jesus said the world would know we are his followers by the way that we love, because loving is hard. There are a few reasons why love is hard. It starts with this. People are the worst. Charles Schultz in his brilliant comic strip Peanuts had Linus say it this way. 
I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. I feel the same way. I mean, when I think of humanity or mankind, my heart is full of love and compassion. I want the world to know Jesus and come to follow him and have the same incredibly full life that I have found. But when I have to break it down into actual people, I really struggle. I'm going to make a confession to you, which you probably don't want to hear from a pastor, but that is, I don't like a lot of people. You're all great. I like you. You're very kind. I, I, I love coming here because I walk in, people hug me. Pastor Dwayne, we're so glad you're here. I'm like, yes, I like people. So you guys are on the exception list. Congratulations. You made a very small list. <laughs> oh, Lord, right? It sounds horrible when I say it out loud. I'm like, I'm going to say, Pastor Ricardo, I'm so sorry, but I don't like people. And he's like, okay, well, I don't like you right now because you said that in my church, but okay, whatever. Um, I'm not the kind of person who like makes a uh, this face, when I think of others, I'm like, oh, other people. Oof. But I'm happy with a small bubble of friends and family who I actually like. And even then, it's a struggle. Right? You can love your family sometimes, but you don't really like them a lot. Or often, I mean, my kids know this because I've been obvious about the times when I don't particularly like them. I know I'm a good dad, and I even venture to say that I am a great father most of the time, but I have had my moments when I think my kids would look at me like I was lying, and they would say, you like your kids, but you just can't stand us. Like, hypothetically, children are great, but you're not. There was a morning several years ago when uh, my wife Robin was already at work, and I was struggling to get all four of our kids out the door and on our way to school. Um, my four kids, Audrey, my oldest daughter, Austin, my oldest son, Autumn, my youngest daughter, and August, my fourth child, son. And yes, we didn't make it easy because we named them all AU names, two syllables. So sometimes it's just, hey, you. But um, one morning, so I was struggling to get them all ready. And Audrey and Autumn were in the living room with me. And I was already irritated because we were running late. I'm sure no parent in the room can ever relate to that fact, but it happened. And I, I was having trouble getting Autumn's shoes on her because she was still little. And uh, I was trying to help her get them tied when I, I hear Austin and August on the stairs and they sounded like they were fighting or arguing. In that moment, I could not stand my children. I was irritated, frustrated, and it bubbled up into this angry red-faced outburst that my family still makes fun of 10 years later. At the sound of the noise coming from my children on the stairs, I snap my neck in their direction. My face turns red. The snarl curls on my lips, and I yelled and I growled in a tone that I don't think I have used since or before. What are you doing on the stairs? <laughs> Literally, that's what came out of my mouth. My girls' faces turned white. Their eyes get huge. They give each other the side eyes and say, should we run? Should we call mommy? What is happening right now? The boys come downstairs. Austin's eyes are like this. And Gus, because he is three years old, his lower lip is sticking out as far as it can. The tears are pooling up in his eyes. And they're like, we were just playing, Daddy. I don't know why they turned British right then, but they were. You know? <laughs> we were just playing, Father. Please don't hurt us. You know? I knew I'd totally blown it with my kids at that moment. I mumbled something gruff to hide my shame, like, um, uh, well, good, I, don't, I didn't know, and let's go get in the car. And don't tell mommy, and maybe we'll go get McDonald's for breakfast, because uh, I'm really not a monster, and we shall never, ever speak of this again. Right? But we do speak of it often, because I'm reminded frequently of the what are you doing on the stairs moment. Because in that moment, my kids saw a very bad example of love. 
Yes, they knew I loved them. At least they knew it in their hearts. But nothing I did in that moment showed them that my love for them was real. It was obvious or tangible, which is what Jesus is trying to get us to understand. The world we will, will know him and all that he wants to show them about love and the way he, he lived by the way we actively, honestly, and truthfully show that love. Jesus is saying, for the world to discover this, this gift of abundant, amazing, rich, and satisfying life, I have to do this. I have to, this is hard for me to say, I'll be truthful with you. I have to love my oldest daughter's new boyfriend. He is her first boyfriend, and while I have known him since he was in junior high, and he is a very nice young man who clearly loves her, and they get along very well, and we all like him, it does not make it any easier because that's my daughter, buddy, and you better mind your P's and Q's. I have to love the guy who cut me off on the freeway on the way here today. I have to love the lady yelling at the barista who messed up the order. I have to love the guy who is all about mask mandates. I have to love the, uh, the woman who is against vaccines. I have to love the man who voted the opposite of me. I have to love the person who stands for things that I do not agree with. I have to love the angry people, the happy people, the bitter people, the sad people, the broken people, the wounded people. If I am a Christian living this amazing and full abundant life, I say that Jesus is giving me, I don't have a choice. There's a reason why Jesus said following him would not be easy. He doesn't say, you know, go sit in your, in your huge car, drive down the freeway and follow me. He says, take up your yoke, take up this burden and then come after me. He doesn't say it's going to be easy. A Christ follower does find a life like no other, a life of value, of meaning, of hope and joy and, oh gosh, unbelievable grace, right? But it comes with a huge amount of work for us to do, which if you remember what Pastor Ricardo said last week, is exactly what we are called and created to do, to do good works. And the good works shine so that our people can see that our Father in heaven, that's what it's all about. That's what we're created for. So now that we know the only way to truly love, live fully is to love fully, the question is, how do we do that? The Apostle Paul lays out how we love in a set of verses that we usually only hear at weddings or on Valentine's Day, or if you're married and you messed up real bad and you want to quote something like loving to your wife, you go find this verse and here, honey, I am so sorry. In the many weddings that I've performed, I've used these verses in the hopes that I can show the couple in front of me just what they are committing to when they say, I do. Guess what? It's the same thing we all commit to say, to do, and live when we say, I do, to Jesus. When we say, Jesus, come into my heart, cleanse me of my sins, become my Savior, become the Lord of my life, we are saying to him, I will do this thing. I will live this way. It's easy for us to do all the right Christian things and, and live the right Christian way and do this and do that. It's easy for us to pray, to preach, to worship. But for us to really be the kind of people who reflect Jesus, we have to do the hardest thing. We have to love. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. 
If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give my body to over to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Without a life that's motivated by love, Paul says, we are nothing. Think about that for just a minute. We can do everything right when it comes to the outward appearance of our faith. We can preach or sing with eloquence and beauty, but if we don't love others the, the way that we're supposed to, instead of beauty, we get nothing but noise and cacophony. Now, we have a, a gift by having a, a, a church percussionist. Amazing. I love having someone who can play all these myriad of instruments. And he brings such life and depth to the music as the guitar plays, as the drummer goes, and the worship is happening. It's amazing how it happens. But this set of instruments over here, if you don't know how to use them and you stand here and start playing them, guess what you get? Noise. It doesn't sound like anything. Put them in the hand of a percussionist, and suddenly you've got things that enhance the beauty of the song. They bring life and depth to it. I won't clang on any of these with my hands because these are precious. It'd uh, be like walking into your house and like spitting on your couch, right? So this means something. But if I just walked over here and started slapping all this kind of stuff, which I won't do, I, watch, I see you over there. I'm not going to do that to your stuff, I promise. You would not get music. You'd get noise. That's what praising and worshiping and praying without love is to the world. It's a bunch of blah, 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 blah. And who wants to hear that? We can understand the Bible's depth and the greatness of God's mercy. We can have faith beyond understanding. But all of that without an outward reflection of God's love means that we are nothing. Paul even says that if we shower the world with money, if you give all you have to the poor, sacrifice everything, even your very life, and, you, and we don't fill the world with the love that should be flowing from us, as Jesus' followers, then we gain nothing. In other words, without love, none of it matters. Ouch. You see, love is at the very heart of everything we can do or say or live as Christians. And if we do anything that is the opposite of love, if we do anything that does not reflect what that love truly is, then we did it for nothing. Or more accurately, we did it for ourselves and not for Jesus. If we preach and pray and worship and tithe and sacrifice and give things away and make sure we follow all the Christian rules and have the right version of the Bible and, and we go to a, a small group and a woman's event and we do all of that without love, none of that goes back to God. It's all about us, which is the opposite of what Jesus is trying to say to us. They will know you are my followers by how you love other people, not by the things you do and the things that you say. I love how the verse, 1 Corinthians 13, makes this clear. Here's how we expect to show love to the world. By being patient, by being kind, by being grateful, by being humble. By, by putting others first, by putting yourself last, by forgiving and by forgetting. 
by being honest, by protecting, by trusting, by believing that the best is always possible, by hanging in there even when things are hard, by never ever quitting, giving up, and throwing in the towel. And I'm not talking about marriage or relational love right now. I'm talking about how we show love to the world. Because when Paul says this, he is not saying to each other, this is your lovey-dovey recipe for a happy marriage. Now we use it for that. And God knows if we follow this in our marriages, our lives would be so much better. Our marriage would be so much better. And they would last a lot longer. But that's not the, the, the purpose why Paul wrote this. It's not a love relationship advice. It's this is relationship and how you show love to people that you may not want to show love to. The unlovable, the unlikable, the, oh my gosh, you're a Democrat. Oh my gosh, you're a Republican. Oh my gosh, you voted for that person? You support Gavin Newsom. How shame on you. Love them anyway. If I ask my wife how I do at loving this way, a promise that I made on our wedding day 24 years ago, she would say that I've gotten it right about 50% of the time. I am still selfish. I am not always kind. When we argue or fight, I struggle with bringing up the past. And even by saying that we argue, it's clear that sometimes I am easily angered. That's the... The catch is the person I value more than any other person on the face of this earth, and I struggle with showing her this kind of love. It's no wonder it's so hard to love the rest of humanity because, as we know, we don't like them. For us to live the life that, that Jesus has gifted for us, we have to love others the way that Jesus wants us to. We don't have the option of choosing who we get to show this to. We don't, which makes it much more of a challenge I love the fact that when Jesus calls us to follow him, he doesn't say, by the way, this is going to be the easiest thing you've ever done. Get this straight. Believe on me. I take away the sin. Cushy life. Go to heaven. Rah, rah, rah. White robes. Feast of the Lamb. Jesus is awesome for the rest of our lives. If any church or any Christian tells you that following Jesus is about having more success or having more things or having more happiness or having more blah, 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 guess what? They are not telling you the truth. Following Jesus is hard. Living for Jesus is hard. But as my grandfather, and I'm sure you've heard this before too, the best things that you can do take the most amount of work. The harder something is for you to accomplish, the more value you put into it, the more joy you get out of accomplishing it, the more you become and the better you, your life becomes. I wish I could just say, Jesus, can I just be patient with people who are patient with me? Can't I just be kind to someone who is kind to me? Oh, you bought my drink at Starbucks? You are the nicest person. Oh my gosh. Can I show humility when people tell me I'm awesome? You know what I'm talking about, right? When you're at work and someone gives you a compliment and you say, okay, no, no, it's a team effort. We did all this together. But in your heart, you're going, yes, I am the best at this. Bow down before me, <laughs> right? Okay, that's not just me. Good, I was making sure. <laughs> yes, if they, uh, we may be asking Jesus, how the heck are we supposed to do this? If we ask this, here's what Jesus is going to be. If he was... 
He's here. He's listening. We know that because he's alive. He's well. He's in our lives. The Holy Spirit's here today. And, and if we could physically get him to respond, for the sake of sounding sacrilegious, I think Jesus would just smile. Kind of that knowing smile of someone's like, I know, I know. And then he'd nod a little bit. And then he'd hum uh, that tune from the McDonald's commercials. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Right? I'm loving it. How do we love the world? How do we live out a love that is all these things when it seems like people are actively going out of their way to make it more difficult for us? By following Jesus' example. The McDonald's slogan is a catchy one. And they don't even have to actually sing the real song anymore. You may not remember, but it's the longest use of a slogan in McDonald's history. They've been using it for almost 20 years. It was introduced in 2003. It was a song called I'm Loving It, sung by Justin Timberlake, uh, written by uh, the rappers Pusha T and Clips. It was written by Pharrell. You know the guy who wrote, um, Because I'm happy, clap along if you know that happiness... He writes catchy songs, right? But we've been hearing this song for nearly 20 years, and McDonald's doesn't even have to say anything but, ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And we all go, oh yeah, I'm loving it. (laughs) Or, I want a cheeseburger right now. (laughs) That's what Jesus wants for our love for the world to look like. Not the part about the fast food that will kill you, okay? If you eat too much of it. But the fact that... um, He wants our love to be so clear, so obvious, so much a part of our everyday lives that we don't have to ask, hmm, is this thing I'm doing right now reflecting Christ? Am I showing love right now? Do you honestly have to ask that if you're yelling at the car next to you, you idiot, what's wrong with you? I have done that recently. I confess I did not show love. Maybe you have done that too. Yes. No judgment. (laughs) Our love should be so full of all those things from 1 Corinthians 13 that it becomes second nature to us. That's what I'm saying. This kind of love should be so normal that it doesn't shock the world when we do these things. Our love becomes so familiar and obvious that the world just smiles and hums when they see us doing exactly what Jesus has called us to do. But that's not what happens right now. When a Christian acts and shows Jesus' love to the world, everyone's like, what? You did that? You had lunch with that person? Amazing. Wow, that shows some real commitment on your part. No, it's no commitment. It's Jesus living his life through us. It's no extra work to love people if we're living how Jesus wants us to live. When we let someone in front of us in traffic, even after they flip us off and honk at us, ba da ba 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 When we give an extra tip and make sure the barista who just got yelled at know that we appreciate her. When we listen to someone who disagrees with us politically without trying to convince them why they are wrong. They will know we are Christians by our what? By our... Wow, that was not convincing. I've been talking about this for like 20 minutes. Well, Pastor White, I'm still confused. How are they going to know we're Christians? By our what? Love. Good job. They will know we are Christians because we are patient. 
Because we are kind, we are grateful, we are humble, we put others first, we put ourselves last. Because we forgive, because we forget and do not hold a record of what someone has done wrong to us. Because we tell the truth. I think one of the greatest misfires of Christianity is when a Christian is known for being dishonest. If you can't tell the truth as a Christ follower, then I have to ask you a question. Are you really a Christ follower? Christians should be protective. And I don't just mean of the things that we like or the things that we believe in, but everybody, because they are created in the image of God himself, deserve to be protected. You figure out what that looks like for you and how you can make that difference. But we should not be, Christians should be less known for what we are against than what we are for. Right? We are for being honest, for being truthful, for being kind. We trust. They will know we are Christians because we believe that the best is always possible. We hang in there even when things get hard. We never ever quit. We never give up. We never throw in the towel. Do you know why? Because Jesus has never done that to us. If I was the Savior of the world, you can all thank God that I'm not. <laughs> I don't have patience for people that annoy me. Guess what? We probably annoy Jesus all the time. I mean... This is why I think the Greek mythology kind of makes sense to people. God's throwing lightning bolts at people who are stupid. Yes, come on, Lord, more of that, please. And yet God's like, that's not how I do things. For the world to know the life that Jesus offers, we have to love the world the way that Jesus loves us. No lightning bolts, no claim, no yelling, no angry. It's us loving people. We can't yell at people we disagree with and then shout at them that they were wrong and sinful and need to change their lives because we disagree about something political. I mean, Come on, do we live like, I know the world's been crazy forever, but I feel like everything's like, everyone's just more angry all the time. You can spend hours on, on YouTube watching people freak out and yell at each other. The people have filmed them. Yeah, I confess, I have a, I love watching people freak out and yell at each other. I'm like, wow, that's a train wreck. <laughs> like angry Karen videos. There's a lot of those out there. Sorry, Karen Quintana, you are not an angry Karen. I feel bad that that's her name because like, she's the opposite of all those things. Um, but everyone's yelling at each other. And so we all, we all go, blah, blah, blah. Well, you, you voted for this. Well, you voted for this. You stand up against them. Blah, blah. Oh, by the way, Jesus loves you so much. <laughs> Jesus doesn't say that the world will know we are his disciples if we tell them that he loves them. We have to actively Show it every single day. We have to every moment of our lives. Um, I, I uh, really fell into my faith and going deeper into it when I was in high school and into college years. I had some great professors at Biola University who helped me really understand the depth of God's love for me. I grew up in a Christian household. I got saved when I was uh, in first grade. So the Christian life has been part of my like, psyche all of my life. 
what's the best thing is that I actually struggled and rebelled against it a lot. Not like where I went crazy and like, I did all the drugs, ow! Um, but it's like, do I really believe this? Do I feel this way about, about Jesus? Is this all part of who I am? And the, uh, through all that, they helped me discover more about myself and more about who, who God is, the depth of his love, the depth of his sacrifice. And the more I realized, and the deeper I went into it, I realized there is nothing more amazing than this ineffable grace. The word ineffable, by the way, means you cannot use a word to describe it. No word in the dictionary can describe truly the amazing grace that we get through Jesus Christ, right? So in this time period, I really kind of fell in love with, um, uh, well, and also my first job was at a Christian bookstore. Uh, so you can kind of guess what kind of music I listen to a lot. Yes, weird bands from England, because um, it was the 80s and we did that, and also uh, Christian music. And one of the writers that I really loved, uh, he wasn't really so much of a great singer, but he wrote some really powerful songs with an artist named Steve Camp. And he wrote this one song that whenever it comes to mind, it's a gut check to my life as a Christian. He says this, don't tell them Jesus loves them until you're ready to love them too. Until your heart breaks from the sorrow and the pain that they're going through, With a life full of compassion, may we do what we must do. Don't tell them Jesus loves them until you're ready to love them too. We may not see the hurt or the pain. We may only see anger. We may only see a divide of color, of belief, of lifestyle. We may not see anything lovable about them. Whatever they land on the political spectrum, whatever their thoughts and faith or religion, but you know what? It doesn't matter. What does matter is Jesus. The full and meaningful life, the abundant life that causes us to do and live out good works that we were created for, it can be theirs too. That's the amazing thing about the gospel. It's for everybody. And it's up to us to help them see that it's real. The life that Jesus came is for them too. When we live with meaning and value and purpose, then we can love that way too. When we show the world that love is patient, kind, gentle, honest, humble, sacrificial, hopeful, that it never quits, no matter how hard it may be to love someone, then guess what we do? We show them Jesus. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba! It's more than just saying Jesus loves you. It's loving them too. Loving so much that it doesn't shock the world when we do these things. Wouldn't it be amazing if we walk out of here today for the next week, because that's about how long we could actually probably do it if we really try, if we show and act out this amazing abundant life, this abundant love on such a regular basis that it becomes so familiar and obvious that everyone who knows you go to Journey Church knows, oh my gosh, those people love like I've never seen anybody love anybody. Holy cow. Wouldn't it be great if, if people didn't go, wow, your church did that? Or, wow, I can't believe those Christians just did that really cool thing for someone who's nothing like them. That's what happens when we love Jesus the way he wants us to. One of the very last things that he said to his followers before his death and before his resurrection reminds us that when we think it might be impossible to love others this way, we have a guide. Jesus said this in John 13, 34. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. 
you should love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Clarification, each other does not mean the person sitting next to you. It means each other. That's the sweeping motion that means the world. Maybe you grew up in a home without a lot of love. Maybe you struggle to show love to others because you've been hurt or wounded. I get it. Jesus isn't asking us to do something easy, but he, we can be encouraged, my friends, because he's only asking us to follow his example. Just as I have loved you, he says. His love for us is so great that he went to the greatest length possible to show us that love. To a world that was bitter, unkind, hurtful, angry, to people who were dishonest and harsh and just plain mean, he showed love. He showed us how to be patient with the impatient, gentle to the rude, kind to the unkind, forgiving to the unforgivable. And in spite of everything the world did to reject him, he never, ever, ever gave up on it. My prayer, and honestly, what Jesus is calling for those of us who call him our Lord and Savior, is that our love will shine so brightly and be so normal that when our cities, our neighbors, our nation, our world sees it in action, that all they do is smile and hum because they see us doing exactly what Jesus called us to do. Church, are we going to love the way that God calls us to love? Then guess what? This song should be in your head. This little hummable ditty should be there, stuck there for the next week, for the next moment of your life, because I want the world to look at us and go, wow, they love so amazingly. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm loving it. It sounds silly. It sounds crazy. But guess what? So does having a Savior that's risen from the dead. So does knowing there's a life that's available to us and to them that's unlike anything the world can offer them. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Will you stand with me? This series has the potential to be one of those moments in a church's life where everyone goes, huh, what life has God called us to? It's not a life of ease, not a life of plenty, but it's a full, amazing, meaningful life. What kind of love does he call us to? Amazing, meaningful, purposeful love. In spite of everything the world may do, we look at it, we love it, and when we think we can't do it, we just kind of say to ourselves, ba-da-ba-ba-ba, What will Jesus do then? I can only imagine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh dear Jesus, oh amazing Savior of the world, you came for us. You showed such great love that in spite of everything we are, in spite of everything we have ever been, you said, I love you. I care for you. I will give you everything from me. And I don't care if you don't like it. I'm just going to keep loving you back. Oh God, may we be people. May we be your followers who say to you, God, I will love you. I will live for you. And I will show that love to the world because they desperately need to know what love actually is. 
God, you are so good. God, you are so great. And you are doing something in the hearts of the people here at Journey Church. You are saying to each one of us that we can give this gift, the gift that you gave us. If we just take it out of the world and start loving the way that we're supposed to, they will know that we are your followers. And they will say, I want to know more of this Jesus that they talk about. God, may everyone we come into contact this week, the people who make us angry, the people who are rude to us, the people who drive us crazy, may we love them so deeply that they say, what the heck is wrong with you? I want some of that. God, may we give your love to the world. May we give our love to each other. Because God, you deserve it. And so do they. Everyone deserves to have this amazing life because that's why you came for all of us, for all the world. God so loved the world. God, we love you. We thank you. And I truly am so thankful for this life that I get to live, this love that I get to share. I'm loving it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to join your journey. And I hope the message made a big difference in your life. And if it did, we just encourage you to go to journeychurchventura.com and let us know. Also, be free to share this message with your friends and family. We just love to impact as many people as we can. Once again, thank you for joining us at Journey Church Ventura.